You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I was hemming and hawing about uh, doing an episode and whatnot, and I realized, you know what I should do? The weekends will be for the patrons. That is to say, uh, the patrons that I have have access to a Packernet Patreon Discord. And if there's questions in there or things that they want to talk about, we'll do a show on the weekend. If not, then not. Might be a short show, might be a long show, I don't know. But that's we'll just call that a, a Patreon perk. For those of you that are patrons and are not in this particular Discord, uh, I think there is a link in Patreon. I think it expires. You can reach out to me and say, hey, I'm a patron. I'm not in there. I want to get in there and ask questions and interact, do whatever. You can just reach out or I can generate a new one um, and post the link. If you'd like to be a part of it and uh, be able to ask exclusive questions on the weekend or whatever and have a better chance of me answering it than uh, throwing it in the Facebook group, which I do intend to answer those at some point, but, uh, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes I can't answer it. You know, they're asking me to dig into stuff that I, I don't have any way of finding it, but let's just say if you put it in here, I'll at least acknowledge it and tell you that I can't answer it. But that's about it. It's, uh, it's Saturday, feeling kind of good, got to sleep in, I got a full eight hours, which, uh, I get that probably once every other weekend, which is pretty nice. Didn't even wake up with a headache, which I usually get. Well, let's start off with a question from Mr. Andy Monday. Every single person uh, asking these questions, by the way, just know that I appreciate you very, very much for the support of the podcast. Some of these people have been supporting me for, man, let me just look for a second. Since it's, since it's Patreon Saturday, I've got Jeff Augustine is my oldest patron that is still around. That has been a patron since August 3rd, 2018. I've got a bunch of guys that started that August. That must have been when I started it. Mike Lazuski, still around. Bill Pokarski, David Davis, Taj Sharani. It's amazing to me. And I, I don't even acknowledge these people because they just, they're just in the shadow. I mean, some of these guys, like David, is he's asking a lot of questions. He's around all the time. I know him. But some of these guys, it's like, man, they've been supporting me for years, literally. Taj and Mike are some of my biggest all-time lifetime supporters, and I don't know if they've ever reached out. Mike, I think, has, but I don't know if Taj has ever reached out for, like, a question or nothing. Just just support. So, yeah, I mean, we've got, uh, I mean, a bunch of people from 2018, a bunch of people from 2019, you know, January of 2020. I mean, look at how many people have been supporting since, for the last year. It's really, really incredible. So, um I really appreciate it. I, I, I mean it when I say it. It's, uh, it means a lot when you guys throw your support, whether it's a dollar, five dollars, whatever you can do. It, uh, it's literally not an exaggeration when I say it's been life-changing. This house that I'm talking about buying, if it wasn't for the advertisers and for the patrons and all that stuff, we would not be buying a house. It's not possible. The only savings we've ever had in our entire marriage since I've been married has come via this podcast. My full-time job pays the bills and barely. So, so I really, really, really mean it when I, from the bottom of my heart when I say thank you guys for your support. And since we're on the topic, a lot of people have given via Venmo and whatnot as well. Thank you to Caleb Steffens for uh, jumping in on Venmo and throwing a little support my way. And I don't mean little to demean the amount because the amount was plentiful. I just mean thank you very much for that. 
Um, all the different ways that people have helped in so many different ways is, is pretty crazy. But uh, anyways, you're here to listen to about football. So listen to about football. How's that for a sentence? You know what else I should do? I should, um, I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to do like a live Q&A thing. So I'm going to answer the questions that are here, but I'm going to let the people here know that I'm recording the podcast as we speak. Throw some questions at me in the question thing. All right, done. We'll see if anybody, uh, anybody jumps in on that. But uh, we'll start off, we'll go in reverse order and kind of just go backwards as far as I feel makes sense. Andy Monday, Ryan, please give your thoughts on Kendrick Green from Illinois and Tylan Wallace, the wide receiver. So I know Tylan, obviously. Um, Tylan was largely, for a very long time, considered a first-round wide receiver, kind of a late first. Um, has kind of settled into second round and has been falling a little bit since, since I don't know, since he started off late first, early second. As of right now, um, he's sitting at about 75th overall, so he's kind of seen, I guess you could say, as a late second, early first kind, or <laughs> early uh, third kind of a prospect. I think generally he's seen as kind of a boomer bust prospect. Um, 5'11", 185, he's kind of a smaller guy. He did have a torn ACL in college, so he missed a bit of time. The thing is, I think it was as a sophomore, he completely blew up, and that's when it was like, dude, this guy's a first-round prospect. If he comes out, he decided to go back to school after whatever and in 2020 he comes back and and more or less on a shortened campaign kind of showed everybody no i'm still i'm still pretty awesome um but extremely fast downfield threat and can actually for 511 185 is a very very uh violent player in that he's going to go up and get it um i think what was the note here he had 43 contested catches which is the most in the fbs the past three years so he's he's at at 511 185 he's still kind of a go up and get it kind of a guy the question, though, is when you translate that to the NFL, what's going to happen? He's a smaller guy. He has a hard time getting off a of press. You know, is this sort of a one-trick pony? Is it kind of a Trevor Davis thing where we're just going to send him down the field and hope he can outrun somebody and we'll throw a good enough ball to get it to him? Or is there something more here? Uh, PFF also kind of speculated here that they think maybe a move to the slot would be the most beneficial thing for him. The thing that I really love about Tylen Wallace is that in four years, although... Um, there's been kind of ups and downs with injuries and, and everything else. He's been remarkably consistent. If you just look at his grades, 2017, and he, he only had 12 targets. He didn't play very much, but 77 overall grades. Since then, 86, 81, 86. I love consistency. I really, 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 really like consistency. It's one of my favorite attributes in any single player, pros or college. I would rather you be decent 17 games out of 17 than be elite in four games mediocre in four games and kind of bad in the rest and uh, the consistency even a game-to-game consistency if you look at uh 20 20 70 60 80 60 80 50 70 70 70 right he had one bad game the entire year two average games the whole year four games in the 70s two games in the 80s um 922 yards six touchdowns this past year uh, never quite replicated that sophomore season. As I said, 1,400, almost 1,500 yards and 12 touchdowns. 2019 was the ACL year. 2020 was the abbreviated COVID year, but still um, had a fantastic year. Didn't play a ton of slot in college, which again, there, there's some thought that maybe he'd be better there, but uh, he only played about 12.8%, not tw- about, it was exactly 12.8%, 87% out wide. But again, 56.5% contested catch rate, which I mean, you've got six four guys that aren't cracking fifty percent. And and the other thing to remember, it's not always you know fifty percent of the time one guy gets it, fifty percent of the time the other guy gets it. Sometimes nobody catches it, right? 
sometimes the ball hits the ground. So there's three scenarios. The, the receiver catches it, the defender catches it, or nobody catches it. So if you're getting it 50% of the time, you're more often than not getting it at least more so than the other guy. 56% of the time is, is pretty impressive, especially when you're, again, I mean, I don't know if he's had his, I don't think he's had his pro day. Let's, let's see, because I know there's a, a lag for PFF here. Oh, he did. Okay. So 5'11", 194. So he put on a little bit of mass, 4'48". So he's got some speed. And again, remember with speed, it's, it's kind of a either you got it or you don't. All right, 4'48 is, is decent speed. Uh, 33 inch vert, 6973 cone. And apparently, so I don't know what exactly happened here, but it says back in February, Wallace was clocked at a sub 4440 at the Exos Pro Day. But again, it, it's he's fast. I mean, nobody's doubting his speed. Nobody's going to look and say 448, he's not that fast. Everybody that runs a 448 has got speed. It may not be Tyreek Hill speed, but, um, you know, they'll get behind guys. Remember, Devontae gets behind guys, and he's a 4-5 guy. So I, I think that's about it. I, I think um, Tylen Wallace could be a, a decent target if the Packers are um, not going to take one in the first round. I think he would probably be a second-round target especially with the Packers' track record of taking guys what, what is considered to be too early. He's kind of right in that range. It's an option. Um, again, the, the biggest flag would seem to be his size um, if the Packers are going to hold fast to their wanting bigger-sized guys. I don't know that Tylen Wallace would be the, the top prospect. Um, and then the, the final thing is for those wondering about his rushing ability, he's had uh, one rushing attempt each year the last three years. So three in the last three years. Um, he averages 4.3 yards per attempt. In 2020, that came via a end around. So he ran once at one end around for seven yards. So it's not something he does a lot. Um, as far as returning, if you want to go that route, uh, he doesn't have a lot of experience with that either. And I, I wouldn't really want, unless, I mean, maybe if we got him in the third round and he's not super panning out, you can look that way. But if you get a second round wide receiver and you put him on special teams, that's not a great sign. But uh, he had Two kick returns in his entire career. Both came via 2020, and he didn't get a single yard for each. Punt returns, he did three in 20, uh, one in 2017, two in 2018, three total. 6.7 yards per attempt, which is not great. So th- it's not his thing. That's that's all there is to it. It's not his thing. He's just, and and again, I think that's kind of the problem. When you look at it, it's like, what does he do well? And it, it's sort of just one thing. It's a downfield attack. And that's, that's maybe a little bit unfair. I mean, his grade... By a short passes is a 93, medium is, is a 94, and deep is a 94. But I think, again, when you get to the pros, he has a hard time getting off a of press. He's not very versatile in terms of what exactly he does. And th- this is just, this is, you know, not my evaluation. I'm just, I'm just reading it and relaying it. But, you know, I mean, the majority of his targets came beyond 20 yards. That, that kind of tells you something, right? That's very rare. 30% of his targets came beyond 20 yards. 28% of his targets were beyond 10 yards, 27 were under 10, uh, between 0 and 9 yards, 14% coming um, behind the line of scrimmage. So he's he's clearly a deep threat, which is great. But, you know, again, I think that's why he's going to go later, because he's kind of seen as a one-trick pony. As far as your uh, question about Kendrick Green out of Illinois, he is currently sitting around 130th overall, so probably about a fourth round. He's got a fourth round projection. If we look at his uh, grades, he plays, so he's 6'4", 315 out of Illinois. He has progressed every single year. 2018 was a 59 overall, 2019, 79, 2020 was 88. Uh, he does grade out better as a run blocker than a pass blocker, which kind of is in line with some of the stuff I've read about him in that he is just kind of a violent football player. The word used is explosive. 
He's not just going to lock into you. He's going to run you straight off the screen, which is which is cool. Um, pass blocking has been kind of average, but he did take a step again in 2020. Um, it looks like he's kind of moved back and forth between left guard and center in, uh, in 2020. He has not played any snaps at tackle or right guard, but he has been, again, a left guard and a center, which is going to be pretty beneficial for the Packers because they w- could use some center depth for sure and could definitely use a, a guard. So a guard center is going to be pretty beneficial to be able to kind of shuffle that around. Still need a tackle, but if we're talking about a fourth-round prospect, it kind of makes sense to me. Um, he is a uh, primarily a zone blocker, which I think in, in the pros, that's most teams. In college, it doesn't always have to be that way. Different teams run different things. Um, but 65% of the time, he's zone blocking, so that's that's right in line with what the Packers do. The only potential red flag, and I think for the pros, they actually give grades for zone and gap uh, blocking. They don't have that in college. They'll probably start that for next year. But if I sort by games in which he did the most zone blocking, the higher up you go, the lower the grades go, and it's almost a one-to-one. So if we start at the top with mostly zone blocking, his grades are 68, 65, 70, 75, 71, 81, 84, and then 67 is the, the one kind of drop-off. It seems to me as though when there's more gap blocking, his run blocking grade goes up. Kind of in line with, again, you are just going to run into that guy and blast him straight off the screen. So it's just, again, I don't have the specific grades for that, but um, it is somewhat of a... Uh, I don't want to say a concern, but it's just it's just a question. If you put him on a team that is mostly going to have him in motion and is going to take away that asset of just blast a hole, does that diminish his ability at all? Um, as far as pass blocking, he didn't allow a single sack this past year, four in his total career. Um, he only allowed six uh, pressures all season, 98.7 pass blocking efficiency grade. The only game this year in which he graded out kind of poorly was against Wisconsin. He only allowed one hit in the game, but they just did not like his pass blocking ability. Obviously, they didn't get to the quarterback much, but he was kind of getting worked a little bit in that game. Otherwise, he's he's good. He's not he's not top tier, but he's he does a good job. And if we kick over to uh, PFF, let me read a couple notes for you. Green's tape is some of the most fun to watch of any offensive lineman in the class. He's a seriously explosive player capable of running a linebacker clear off the screen. He's off. He often struggles to properly harness that explosiveness. It got better over the course of his Illinois career, though, as he saw his grades improve dramatically in each of the areas, uh, each of his three years as a starter. This past year, he was tied for the Power 5 lead with 14 big-time blocks. That's not something I have access to, and I don't exactly even know what that means. I'm assuming a play that was a big-time play that is largely because of you blocking. Don't know. That came in only eight games. That's some real deal people-moving ability. Um, as far as pros and cons, they can get uh, can get out of his stance. And Scoot earned a 92.3 run-blocking grade on outside zone. So there you go. That's a fantastic note. So they actually do have the grades. They just didn't show me. But apparently, that's actually where he thrives. So in other words, what I saw was basically a coincidence. Churns feet like a champ. He'll run with defenders when he catches them off guard. Seamlessly altered between left guard and center in 2020 and had a career year. Three-year starter whose grade has jumped significantly each season. As far as the cons, often lacks patience. So many unnecessary whiffs when forced to react quickly. Plays tall and thin on the move. Some ugly attempts to engage in space. Low two-hand punch in pass protection leaves them susceptible to being swatted away. Lengthy looks less than a uh, length looks less than ideal. Struggles to keep guys out of his pads. So there you go. PFF actually has him as a third-round um, prospect. But uh, actually, something else that's to note here, they do have his pro day numbers. He is a 99th percentile in his 40-yard dash of 485. So that's uh, that's pretty... I mean, he is only 305 pounds. He's 6'2", 305, which is kind of smaller 
Um, so he will probably be more agile. So yeah, I, I, I think he's, uh, I think he's a great fit. I don't know what the Packers think of him as a prospect, but I think he'd be a fantastic fit for the Packers. Uh, we got one question here from from uh, Goose. Live question coming in says, what will give our defense the biggest potential boost this year, coaching, free agency, draft, or players already on the team taking a step? Um, let's see. Coaching, free agency. Well, I'm going to remove free agency because that obviously <laughs> we didn't do it. I mean, we brought back guys, and that's cool, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to remove that from the list. I don't want to say the draft because competing up against teams, uh, players already on the team taking a step. I mean, the draft, a good year in the draft, you get like three contributors. One of them is really solid. Kind of like what we saw when, you know, Elton Jenkins was real solid. Uh, Darnell Savage was a contributor. You know, Rashawn was kind of hanging around. I mean, that, that, that's a pretty solid year. But in comparison to Kenny Clark getting back to Pro Bowl status, Zadarius Smith taking a step, Preston Smith getting back to what he is, Rashawn growing, Savage continuing to take another step, um, Elton continuing to grow, you know, any of the three offensive linemen stepping up into becoming what they could be, A.J. Dillon taking a step, I mean, you can't compete with that. Um, and really, I mean, coaching really just comes down to what, what, why would coaching help? Coaching would help because it would help those guys take a step. So, I think it's it's fairly straightforward that the biggest thing that can help this team, and this is why I get upset with the argument of if we would have just drafted someone other than Jordan Love, it would have fixed everything. That's such a ridiculous sentiment because the idea that one guy that you can draft makes a bigger impact than the guys on your team stepping up is kind of crazy. It's also why I've kind of backed off of my stance of tanking. Now, I'm not a, a completely opposed to it. If you have a terrible team and you're just completely trashed, you're better off getting the number one overall pick than the number seven overall pick because you felt like winning two games, right? Like the Jets who had a, a lock number one pick and then just felt like uh, messing that all up and, and winning a football game. That was stupid. But it's not to your benefit to get a guy that's that's 10 players better at the expense of your entire team being trash. If you're picking in the top five, you've got a lot of serious problems that one guy is never, never going to be able to fix. So good question. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's by far the uh the biggest thing for this team and and that and that should get you excited that's another another reason why free agency shouldn't make you so mad there's nobody in free agency that can make an impact as much as Kenny Clark just getting back to pro bowl status that is like the biggest free agent acquisition we could possibly get Zadarius getting back to 2019 form would be the biggest free agent acquisition we could possibly get anything we ever hoped we would have gotten from JJ Watt we already have it on the team we just need him to step up Rashawn becoming the guy we know he can be is is every bit as big of a deal as J.J. Watt would have been. If A.J. Dillon can become the monster we know he can be, that's every bit excited, as exciting as if we would have gotten Fuller at wide receiver. The amount of damage he can do. And by the way, bringing back uh, Aaron Jones, as much as I wasn't necessarily on board with that, 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 that duo is um, extremely lethal. I mean, just, just getting Aaron Rodgers to maintain what he did last year means we're automatic Super Bowl contenders. So the play of the guys already on the team is is 95% of what's going to make the difference. 5% is, you know, um, health, nutrition, free agency, draft, all the other little, you know, tertiary things that you can add in there. I'm going to give that like 5%. Because if, if we've got everybody on this team going all out, it's an automatic Super Bowl and it's not even a question. I mean, that's not going to happen, which is why we know that it's not a, a, just a, a given. Nobody is going to have all of their stars playing at 100% for the whole season, including the Packers. But if they did, automatic. So getting the coaching right, getting the right uh, 
people in the right positions and, and keeping them healthy, that's the absolute most important thing. Uh, kind of following up on that, Goose had a, a question yesterday. What would get you the most hyped? Another lockdown corner, an elite number two wide receiver, a monster defensive tackle next to Clark, a promising pass rusher, an elite tackle prospect. I think if we're going to say hyped, it's it's going to be, you know, the, the thing that's going to get you excited is a thing that feels like we're moving forward. I think tackle might be the most important, the most prudent, the most correct pick to make because we could go backwards the most. That's the biggest thing that's going to prevent us from going backwards. But if we're talking about what's going to help us to take that next step, I have to think it's a defensive tackle. We had the number one offense in football last year. I'm not opposed to an elite number two wide receiver coming in and just tearing it up. I'm not. I think that would be exciting. I think just taking the offense to another step, another level where it's like there's just no stopping this offense, I'm all on board with that. But if we could get another defensive tackle to do what I hope that that would do, which is to awaken Kenny Clark to help take some pressure off of Zadarius Smith, who is the second most double team player in all of football, which tells me teams didn't respect Rashawn, Preston, or Kenny. They said, ah, those guys aren't that good. Just double up Zadarius, we'll be fine. Nonsense. We have to knock that off. Kenny needs to step up, and, and Rashawn needs to step up, and Preston needs to step up. And if we can get a monster defensive tackle, which is going to be really hard to find in this class, because there's not a lot of them. There might not be any of them, to be completely honest. Even last year, where there were thought to be better defensive tackles, none of them really stepped up to be anything any very promising. None of them. My man Raekwon was about as good as it got, and he was good, not great. So there's no guarantee that there's going to be a single defensive tackle that's going to come into the, the pros and just dominate. In fact, I would say there's a relatively high probability that you might get a good defensive tackle. You're not going to get a great one. I mean, even going back to... to you know, guys like Ed Oliver, who are top 10 prospects, the guy's been terrible. We don't even have an Ed Oliver in this class. What about Quinnen Williams, the guy that was considered to be, you know, one of the best players in that entire draft? The guy's done nothing for the Jets, and they were even considering trading him. That's like a number one overall prospect right there. He didn't go number one, but he, he could have easily. Absolutely freakish dominant player that, that really hasn't done anything. So there, there are no guarantees, um, but, but if we're just asking a strictly hypothetical not what do you think is most likely to happen, because then you're kind of looking at, you got a better chance of getting a wide receiver to kind of break out than a defensive tackle or a tackle to to be a real solid contributor. Um, if we're just throwing that all out the window and just saying, I, I, I'm i a genie in a bottle and I can grant you one thing and it's going to be a dominant this, 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 or this, I, give me the defensive tackle. It's a big part of the reason why I wanted J.J. Watt, despite all the risk, is because I felt like he could provide that. But he's got to be something kind of special, because if he comes in and he's Dean Lowry, what good does that do? He's got to be something that the team actually fears, and if you don't pay attention to him, he's going to hurt you. And unfortunately, we didn't have anybody do that last year. Kenny didn't instill fear in anyone, Preston, Rashawn, none of them. And we, we, need, we need that. There needs to at least be one guy to step up. Anyways, why don't we take a break here, and we'll continue perusing the Patreon Discord questions channel, see what else we can find. Again, if you want to be a part of this, jump in on patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. If you want to get in the Discord and you are already a patron, again, just reach out and uh, tell me your name on Patreon so I can look it up and I'll get you a link. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I've got a question again from Mr. Andy Monday. It's not going to be an easy one to answer, but I'll, I'll poke around a little bit. Which draft prospects are the most versatile at our needed positions, i.e. O-line, D-line, secondary? Now, I'm just going to leave it at that because, again, this is a, hardest, a hard enough uh, question to, to get at. So um, we'll just look at O-line, D-line, and secondary. And it, I'm glad you asked. And a big part of the reason I want to answer this is because there was a rumor that came out. It's not even a rumor. But uh, Brian Gutekunst was, you know, he's been touring and, and looking at different prospects and whatnot. And, um, you know, every day there's a different pile of uh, pro days. And so they have to prioritize which one they're going to go to. And apparently Brian Gutekunst uh, decided to go to the Oregon pro day. Um, Tony Pauline, who is a insider of sorts, he's got a lot of uh, friendships, presumably with the scouts and whatnot, old acquaintances and, and all that kind of stuff. He mentioned Brian Gutekunst was in Oregon, and he doesn't generally talk about the Packers, so it's not like he's just throwing random stuff out there. If he hears something, he says something. So it's very rare to get a Tony Pauline nugget about the Packers, and we got one, so I got excited. He said, Brian Gutekunst is at the Oregon Pro Day, and the word is they're there scouting Javon Holland. Javon Holland is a guy that is going to be right in that late first, early second range that the Packers are in, and it's kind of funny because I wanted to do, and I probably will still do a segment on... uh, you know, what would the Packers draft look like this year if it resembled last year? And I think a good first pick to do that would be Javon Holland in the first, because it would be a prospect that is seen as a position that is not necessarily a need. Javon Holland is largely considered a safety, although he um, is a safety slash slot corner. That is quite a sentence to say. Safety slash slot corner. So he is incredibly versatile. He's only played two years. He did not play in 2020, but his grades in 2018 and 2019, 83 and 81, largely due to his coverage abilities. 89.6 was his grade in 2018, which is the first year he played college football, which is incredible. 621 snaps and basically an elite cover guy. 24 receptions on 40 targets. He allowed two touchdowns, had five interceptions and six pass breakups. 2019, he had an 85 overall grade allowed 44 receptions on 69 targets for 472 yards, allowed two touchdowns, had four picks and five pass breakups. His passer rating when targeted the last two years, 59.7 and 69.2, an average of 61.1. If you want to look at like his worst game, probably Arizona State. 74 yards allowed and one touchdown. So that's that's it. Two receptions, 74 yards and a touchdown. 
Uh, the only game in which he allowed more yards, and the only there's only two games that had over 50 yards. That one, and then Washington State, he allowed 95 yards, but gave up no touchdowns and had a pick. So um, he is a very versatile player. Again, it's it's seen as not necessarily a need, but you can find a place for him. Again, he's a, he's a safety slash slot corner, so he's one of those guys that we do need a slot guy, we do need some more corners. Maybe they think they could put him out wide. He does have some limited experience with that out of 884 snaps. He had 28 out wide, only one the year before, but it, it's it's a possibility. But I think with a guy like this, what you're getting is you're getting that slot corner that you feel you need. He's probably a, a pretty dominant one, but he's not a guy that you just have to rip off the field because he can go and play safety um, when he's not able to play in the slot. Because when you, you still have 11 guys on the field, right? So if you don't have a slot guy because they have two wide receivers, you're going to add somewhere else. So generally, if you have three corners, you're going to take away from either a linebacker or a safety or whatever. You're going to add back a linebacker or a safety when you don't have a slot corner. So you can just move him over. And again, I, I kind of think, and I don't, I don't know, this is more of a Coach Hahn question, but I don't know exactly how this sort of scheme, and I don't even think we know exactly what the scheme is, but this sort of scheme works with three safeties and whatnot. I know Vic Fangio was very vanilla. You know, two safeties, two corners, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers, three defensive linemen. I mean, just straight up three, four. You know, obviously there's some nickel involved in that, but it, you didn't see a lot of super crazy stuff. And so if you're going to have a guy like Javon Holland play a large role, I would have to assume it's going to be more than just as a slot corner. And again, I, the, the versatility of not just Javon Holland, but uh, Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos um, is kind of exciting because I think all three of these guys you could see playing in the box, uh, deep, free safety. And then obviously Javon could be the slot guy. And just the the ability for these guys to kind of move around and shuffle is, is would be kind of cool. And again, it would be a perfect Packers pick because it's one of those things that you just, you can't get super excited about it because you're building up all these things and like, oh man, a defensive tackle, ooh, a wide receiver, uh, an, an offensive tackle. At least that's a need. Even a guard is something we know we need. If You know, we don't get excited, but it's like, oh, shoot. But oh, hey, it could be another Elton Jenkins. Maybe better. It's going to be great. And then you look at maybe the strongest position on the entire team at safety, outside of quarterback, but a position where you have multiple people, one of the strongest we probably have, maybe I think it is the strongest right now, is probably safety, and we add a safety. Again, granted, he's kind of a corner, but, you know, I don't know. He's seen as a as a, as a a safety. He's played more corner than anything else. 591 out of his 884 snaps came in the slot, but uh, yeah, extremely talented cover guy. If you look at what PFF has to say about him, they got him as a second-round uh, prospect. Says Holland is a high-floor player with uh, with the way he sees the game and should be an immediate starter. Uh, pros and cons, ball hawk from day one, 20 interceptions plus pass breakups in two seasons. Uh, processes at, at an elite level. He doesn't have 20 picks, does he? Oh, picks plus pass breakups. Gotcha. Yeah, he had 20, nine interceptions, 11 pass breakups. It's like, that's not correct. Processes at an elite level. Holland can execute any coverage in any alignment, which, I mean, that that's exciting, especially for, for a guy that's a safety. I mean, corner is a little bit more quick, twitchy, react, athletic kind of thing, but especially if you're talking about a safety, a guy that can process what's going on in the field and kind of keep your eyes, put your eyes where they need to be and that kind of stuff. That's That's exciting. Sells out as a tackler, improved from freshman to sophomore year as well. Height and length to still be versatile in the NFL. Some of the cons, not a special athlete by any means. Average straight line speed, burst, and range. Risk-taking still got the best of him versus fakes, double moves, which, as a reminder, Jair got killed with that too, and he improved, and just he didn't have any problems with that anymore. So it's something that obviously you can improve. Also remember, we have a very, very talented defensive backs coach on this team. 
Uh, slot deep versatility, not necessarily box, doesn't have the pop, which kind of makes sense, but at the same time, a lot of these coverage linebackers don't either. Haven't seen him since 2019 after he opted out of the 2020 season, so that would be the other negative. We just we didn't see him in 2020 at all. Also worth noting, at his pro day, apparently, he ran an unofficial 4-4-5. So the note about him not having very good straight-line speed, I mean, 4-4-5 is pretty fast in my book. He also weighed in at 207, which is up 11 pounds from his list weight. So he gained, he packed on 11 pounds and ran a 4-4-5. And, and, and the other thing is he's really young. He spent two years at Oregon, and he just completely blew it open. I mean, his ability to process the mental part of his game, the, the ability to just see the game and make great plays. He's a playmaker. He's hardly got any experience. He came out year one at Oregon and just tore it up. And he's only got two years of coaching experience. What happens when he gets to the pros and really has some quality coaches just drill into him? Not to mention having guys like Amos and Savage and Jair and King and everybody else that's been around a while that knows some stuff to be able to coach him up a little bit. I mean, the ceiling is just unbelievable. I mean, the environment for a guy like Javon Holland, who has all the natural ability in the world, but then gets thrust into a situation with one of the best DB coaches in the league and a really good group of DBs on the team to be able to help him out. I mean, it's just a perfect environment. So... Again, it's it's a great Packers pick to where you kind of you feel like you don't want him because we don't need a safety and and you know a slot guy is not really something you want to take in the first round, so you'd kind of be disappointed when it happened. But then you could easily talk yourself into it and get all jacked up about him. That's Javon Holland. If the Packers were to do what they've done in it, you know, last year with the pick, I think Javon Holland would make the most sense. I mean, obviously they could just go quarterback again, but I think we're getting a little crazy. As far as some of the other things, it's it's kind of tough to say. You talk about versatility with defensive linemen. I don't know, man. I mean, most of these guys have done a little bit of everything, you know? I mean, if we look at Christian Barmore, the different positions he was listed at just along the defensive line, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different positions along the defensive line, including uh, one snap at middle linebacker. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, he's been everywhere from nose tackle to um, defensive end. Now, he's primarily just a defensive tackle in a, in a regular role, 4-3. You know, you got two defensive ends, you got two interior defensive tackles, and he's, he's that. But yeah, he moves around just like most of these guys um, move around a decent amount. Um, I do think, you know, if you're, if you're going to compare him and Levi and Uzurike, who are the two guys that I've mentioned are kind of um, maybe the two that I think have, have a legit shot at being not just run defenders, but actual pass rushers. Levi's probably the little, a little bit more versatile. Of his four, about 500 snaps, you got about 175 at defensive tackle. You've got about 135 at nose tackle, and then about 10 as an as a straight up edge rusher, as a as a down defensive end edge rusher. He also has seven in the box, which I I, I have to assume is him just kind of dropping. So again, I think if you're looking for versatility, then Levi's a little bit more versatile. Um, than Christian Barmore is. And again, I'm not going to dig too much in because there's there's literally hundreds of prospects, but we'll just kind of look at guys that are potential first round. Um, and then offensive line, I think, is where it starts to get a little bit more interesting. So we'll look at all the offensive line prospects that are kind of in that first, second round range. Um, Tevin Jenkins has got tackle guard um, ability. He's played right tackle 1,900, left tackle 482, and then right guard 146 times. He's obviously primarily a tackle. But the even the left-right thing is kind of interesting because some of these guys have just done one thing, just a left tackle, just a right tackle, just a guard. And when you're talking about possibly drafting a guy 
that may need to come in and play for David Bakhtiari for a while until David comes back and then kicks back to right tackle. Tevin Jenkins makes sense in that regard. Again, he's had almost 500 different snaps. He's played over three years at left tackle. All four years, he's played some right tackle, and only once he played right guard, but it's sort of that left-right versatility that kind of is important, and I I know a lot of guys can do it. You move them, and they'll figure it out, but you talk to an offensive lineman, and they'll tell you it's not as easy as it sounds. It's not like, well, you're a tackle. You'll, You'll play where I want you to play. When you've had certain motions and things drilled into you thousands of times, thousands of reps moving a certain way, and you have to kind of mirror that and and you know, suddenly this leg becomes that leg and that leg becomes this leg and your hands got to switch and everything switches. It's, it's you know, a lot of the, the things that are habit forming kind of get flipped in your brain. If you look at, uh, don't mind the screaming children, that's what happens when you sleep in. If you look at Samuel Cosme, who's the next on this list, he's a, a left-right guy. There's no interior. But again, I don't really mind that. I don't really care so much about that. We got a bunch of guys that can play inside, outside. We got guys that can play guard center. We got all that interior stuff. I don't need a tackle that can necessarily play guard. But left-right is kind of cool to me. Now, he's played about the, you know, well, 1,500 at left tackle and 1,053 at right tackle. He's most recently been a left tackle the last two years, but his first year he played over 1,000 snaps at right tackle, which is more than he's played at any other position in any one season. So again, you've got the left-right thing. So we can put him at left tackle, which is what he's done most recently, and then when David comes back, he can move to right tackle. Jalen Mayfield is, I think, where you lose all that versatility. Um I've kind of fallen out of, of favor with him a little bit. He just seems very one to I mean, he's definitely a Big Ten tackle, right? He's 320 pounds. He's a mauler. He's just going to smash guy. He's pretty strictly a right tackle. He did play 37 snaps at left tackle. Um, he actually hasn't played very much in general. 37 snaps at left tackle in 2018, 851 in 2019 at right tackle, and then 121 snaps at right tackle in 2020 because he didn't play very much in 2020. But... Um, you just, you're kind of just getting one kind of guy. And if you're good with just having a right tackle that's 320 pounds, is going to punch you right in the throat. Nice. Good. Go for it. But eh, for my money, I don't know. Next, you got Alex Leatherwood, who for a long time was almost like a top 10 lock. I mean, in a lot of mock drafts starting last year, um, he was, he was way up there. He's got four years at Alabama. Um, he's almost entirely a left tackle, but he does have a good amount of right guard experience in 2018. Uh, he was a right guard. In that same year, he played 12 snaps at right tackle, so it was kind of a thing, but he's he's primarily been a left tackle, so that may be somewhat of a tough switch for a team that primarily wants to draft a guy just to be a right tackle. Again, that doesn't mean he can't do it, but again, the question is about versatility. I don't think he's the most versatile. Um, I think he's a left tackle that would need to be trained to be a right tackle, and I have no idea what the process is for evaluating that. I'm sure you can just bring him in for a workout and look at how he looks and be like, yeah, he, he looks fine at right tackle. He'll be fine. Uh, Wyatt Davis, the first kind of interior guy that we've looked at, is strictly a right guard, which is rare. I mean, it really is rare to see a guy that's never, ever done anything else. He's never once played left tackle, left guard, center, right tackle, or uh, what is considered the tight end position, which is just an, an additional player on the end of the line. He has played 923 snaps at, uh, well, that was the most he played in 2019, 1,707 total snaps at Ohio State, all right guard. So there is no, and again, it doesn't mean he can't. I mean, six four three fifteen. I doubt we're putting him at tackle. He's he's, and, and I don't think he's ever going to play center. But I mean, he could be a left or right guard, which is fine. We need that. We have to have guards that can play football. And if uh, Elton's going to be a long term center option, then we kind of don't have guards, and we need that. So 
Liam Eikenberg, Notre Dame uh, tackle, is strictly a tackle. In fact, he's strictly a left tackle. 2,659 snaps at left tackle, zero at guard, center, or right tackle. Uh, three times he was uh, an additional end line um, tackle or whatever, whatever the, the proper term for that is. I guess I don't know. But he's a left tackle. That's just what he is. Landon Dickerson, the center out of Alabama, seems like a really good dude, really fun guy to have around. Um, tons of versatility. He's literally played every position along the offensive line. Left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. Primarily a center. 1,189 snaps, but he has almost 700 snaps at right guard, 283 snaps at left guard, 59 at left tackle, and 51 at right tackle. Now, obviously, he's meant to be in a certain spot, but at 6'6", 325, I mean, you want to know which guy is is the most versatile? It's Landon Dickerson by a mile. I mean, Landon Dickerson, honestly, is kind of a lot like Elton Jenkins. He's a center that could probably play guard and be a lot better than any guard you have on your team. And also, in a pinch, you could probably put him at tackle. I mean, he's he's... This is your Elton Jenkins. Uh, Creed Humphrey is just a center. I mean, if the Packers are like, look, Elton's going to be a longtime guard. We just want a guy that can play center. This is it. If, if not, if you need some versatility, Creed is just off the board because that's, that's t- all he's ever done. 2,445 snaps at center. And Dylan Radins, Radins, I never know how to say this guy's flipping name. Um, he's a left tackle. He, he has played, it's kind of interesting because the only other real position he's played is center, which is strange. 1,897 snaps at left tackle, zero at left guard, zero at right guard, zero at right tackle, three at center. So I guess you can call that flexibility, but um, he's a left tackle. And then our final prospect that is sort of a first two round kind of a prospect is Mr. Jackson Carmen, uh, tackle out of Clemson. He is strictly a left tackle. Never played guard, never played center, never played right tackle. He is a left tackle. He's played 1,786 snaps at left tackle. So so there you go. Any other last-minute questions here? Nope, that's it. Nobody else jumped in, so I think I'm going to call it. Family's getting a little crazy. I'm getting a little hungry, need a little bit of coffee. Got some, some traveling to do today. But um, feel free to jump in, because if there are questions here in the patron thing, I'll plan on doing a podcast tomorrow. If not, I'll plan on taking the day off, so... Folks, have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. I will talk to you later. Have a good one. Bye-bye.